Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. How do I find this life in Jesus? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's such a simple thing. People are like, well, that's too easy. Yeah, he made it easy because he knows us. And if he made it difficult, not only would we try hard to do it, but if we ever thought we accomplished it, we'd be boasting about it. Today we are in Mark chapter 4, looking at the first 20 verses. The first 20 verses of Mark are about the parable of the sower and its explanation. Hence, Pastor Sam has entitled this study, The Seed, the Soil, and the Harvest. This parable has important meaning, and not just for those whom we would share the gospel with, but for us as well. Mark 4, 1-20, through 20, The Seed, the Soil, and the Harvest. We read here in Mark chapter four, and again, he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. I hesitate to point it out, but sea is mentioned three times in the first verse. Well, it's the Galilee Sea or the Sea of Galilee. It's not exactly the ocean, but it's beautiful. You'll be there with us in January if you come to Israel with us. Then he taught many things, taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, this word is an exhortation. He's saying, pay close attention. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30 fold, some 60 and some 100. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a second exhortation. Listen carefully and make sure you're paying close attention. If you have ears to hear and I see you all do, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. A parable, you see, is a double-edged sword. It's meant to both reveal and conceal. And it almost sounds, it actually sounds as if Jesus is saying he prefers that outcome, that some would understand and others would fail to understand. But that's not exactly what's going on here. What he's saying is there are two kinds of people listening. There are those who hear it and really want to understand it. The disciples are among them 
because we're told that, that after he would teach, in this first parable especially, they got alone with him inside the house where they wouldn't be embarrassed to say, hey, we don't have a clue what you're talking about out there. They're like, hey, explain the parable to us. So it wasn't that everybody either got it immediately or, or did, didn't understand it. You know, the bottom line is this. Everybody needed to seek out what he was really saying to search and find out, Jesus, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to teach us through this parable? So some sought him out to those. The meaning of the parable was revealed. Others just like passed it off. Oh, whatever, you know, don't understand that. kind, of, Or that was kind of a cute story whatever they might have said, but they weren't really interested in understanding it. And so to them, it was concealed. Matthew makes this clearer in Matthew 13, 15. He says, for the hearts of these people are hardened. Matthew's saying, this is the real reason not everyone heard, not everyone processed, not everyone understood. The problem, you see, was a problem of the heart. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. He wasn't closing their ears or closing their eyes. They were doing that. So their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. It's a clue. In this parable, the soil will be the hearts of men, yours, mine, and everyone Else's. The seed will be the word of God. He's going to, Jesus is going to explain that, but I want to just lay a little bit of a foundation and then we'll read on and see his explanation. The seed, again, God's word. It's the constant. It's all good seed. It's, it's alive. The word of God, alive and powerful, Hebrews tells us. It's able to do what, what nothing else on the planet can do to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart to cut between the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And, and the bottom line is when we're sitting and reading God's word, God's word is searching our hearts and trying to take root within our hearts. So it's alive. There is potential for every seed to take root and produce fruit. And there's potential for every heart to receive seed and produce fruit. The purpose of sowing, by the way, sowing here means planting by throwing seed. Some of the newer translations just say he was planting, but, but that is as confusing or, well, it's, it's less clear then sowing, because we at least have to ask, well, what do they mean by sowing? Basically, what happened is the, the one who was wanting to plant would walk along a well-worn path. He'll mention that. And, and uh, throw seed out this way, big bags on each side, throwing seed out this way, throwing seed out this way. So he's sowing, planting by throwing seed. That's exactly the meaning of the word. The, the purpose, multiplication, to, to produce a crop, to bring forth a harvest, to, to feed hungry souls, if you will. The soil, our hearts. 
And that's the variable, you see. The constant is the word. It's always good. It's always the same. The variable are hearts. And this is so important because, well, I'm being called to not just teach the word, but evangelize, share the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Um, because I'm called and have a passion for that message and to see people come to Christ, I've often used this parable to explain why some people hear the good news of the gospel and don't respond. And we're going to do that today, but that's not how we're going to spend most of our time. Why? Because most of us have heard the good news of the gospel and have responded. We need to know, though, that this parable has direct application to each and every one of us, for each and every one of us. Because the things he says happen to the seed happen every time any of God's word is sown in hearts. We're planting today. And if your heart's prepared, if your ears are open, God is going to do something amazing. But if not, well, then that seed is going to have trouble taking root and producing fruit. So the constant, the seed, the word, the variable, the heart, the soil, four different conditions are shared along with their impact on the seed. I've labeled these and it's easy to see why the wayside hardened heart, the stony ground shallow heart, the thorny weedy heart, or the good and fertile heart. So the wayside heart, it's the well-worn, often walked path. It's the path the sower, the planter, the thrower is on at the time Jesus is sharing the parable. It's possible, even likely, that in the distance as he's teaching, of course, we read he's out in a boat, sitting on the water and he's looking in, but people look around and it's possible that in the distance they would see someone doing the very thing he's describing here. He didn't have to explain the things I'm explaining because they saw them regularly. So a sower goes out, he's throwing his seed this way and that way. Some of it falls on the path that he's walking and that everyone would walk so they wouldn't trample the young plant, so they wouldn't disturb the things that would be growing. They all walked that path. And he says that seed was immediately snatched up by the birds. I think the word he used was devoured it. The hungry birds came and didn't just eat it, they devoured it. Now, Jesus will explain, and so I don't want to, you know, if, it's, if you're new to this, it's a spoiler alert. Jesus is going to explain that, that, that those birds actually represent Satan. He's the one who comes to steal the good seed of God's word so that it won't take root and it won't produce fruit. Why? Because he's a thief, because he's a deceiver, a liar, because he's a murderer. And he wants nothing to do with seeing people come to Christ or people grow in Christ or people be fruitful for Christ. So the seed is the constant. The soil is the variable. The wayside hardened heart doesn't ever produce because, well, the bird snatched the seed before it has any chance 
to get into good soil and take root. The second in verse five, the stony ground, it's shallow ground. It has little uh, depth of earth. So the seed never actually takes root. And ironically, when the sun comes up, which is absolutely essential for the growth of the seed, you know you need three things. If you want to grow something in your garden, you need soil, you need water, and you need sunshine. Those three things make it happen. And so when the sun comes up, that's supposed to be making this whole thing work, it actually burns up that little teeny shoot that's just trying to get itself going. And so I think I remember reading some years ago, it's, it's a, another analogy, but it, it works. The same sun that, that uh, softens the, the uh, wait, melts the butter, hardens the clay. I, I really should learn my lesson and not try things I haven't thought about earlier. But anyway... They're all in there somewhere. They just take a little longer to find. The filing system's a little disturbed, but the files are all there somewhere. Wayside hardened heart, stony shallow heart. And let me pause for a moment to say, today, as his word goes out, some of you are like, well, I already know this stuff. What's it gonna say to me? It's saying right now your heart may be in that condition where, well, this path, we walked it so often, there's nothing for me on it. Well, that's true if this word's going to be snatched away by the enemy before it takes root in you. And then the second case, the thorny or the stony ground, not enough depth of earth. When we get to the end of all this, we'll talk about how to make sure our hearts are right when we come before the Lord. Third case, verse seven, the thorny weedy ground. The seed here has to compete with well-established, ever-growing thorns and weeds. And those of you who've done any gardening, you know you don't have to plant weeds. They're volunteers. And you don't have to fertilize or water them. In fact, you can spray them and they're like, Roundup, we love that stuff. But actually, they don't. They just think they do. Pam always plants a garden. We got ours in late. One year, our, our grandsons planted a little sunflower. Someone gave them to each of them on a walk. Uh, and uh, anyway, that it was in a little cup, you know, that little one. Then you just take the bottom out and plant the whole thing in there. Those sunflowers grew, no exaggeration, to be 16 feet tall. So I have pictures of them with their little cup. And then they're three foot and six foot. And they just kept growing massive, massive heads on those sunflowers. Why? Because there was good soil and there was plenty of water and there was plenty of sunshine. In our time away, the weeds decided to attack the garden and they are everywhere. Pam's looking at me with raised eyebrows and I'm like, it's Saturday, I got to prepare. She looks at me this morning, it's Sunday, I got to teach. But tomorrow <laughs> I will be weeding our precious garden. Wayside, hardened heart, stony ground, shallow heart, thorny, weedy ground, where there's so much competition for the good seed, the truth of God's word. It just gets choked out. It can't take root and produce fruit because there's just not room for it in such a heart. And then there's the good, fertile soil. Verse 8, 
It's cultivated, it's prepared, it's weeded, and it's the only one where the seed actually takes root and produces fruit. We want to make sure when we open the word in the morning for our devotions, as we all do, of course, when we're reading the Psalms, when we're reading the Proverbs, that we're praying first. Why? Because prayer prepares our hearts. I, on my way in, I was praying, but I realized, man, I just need to start with praise. I'm so happy that I get to open the word with you guys today and look at a passage that's so easy to remember and so easy to apply. And then I'm just praying, Lord, don't let me miss anything you have for me. Don't let anyone you bring miss anything you have for them. So the cultivated, prepared, weeded, soil that the seed just finds root in and sends it shoot up. And we'll see another parable next week that talks about that process and says, we don't really have to do anything once we plant the seed. Not, not if there's water and, and sunshine and, and good soil. Everything will happen just because God planned and purposed it that way. Well, believers then need to feast on God's word to grow. The condition of my heart, of your heart, of our hearts will determine if we're going to grow. That's why there are some people who've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years and you talk to them and they seem not just immature as people, though lots of us have that problem, but, but immature as Christians. And there's sort of an assumption that if you meet a 20-year-old Christian, not a 20-year-old who is a Christian, but a 20-year-old Christian, that, that that Christian will be able to answer your questions and will be able to, to apply the word to the difficult social situations that we find ourselves in, our cultural changes that are happening so dramatically and negatively, by the way. So, so here's the problem. Not all of us have matured, even though we've been around and we've gone to church and we've sung the songs and we've done some reading. Because if the word doesn't take root, there's no real growth. It's better to know the word than to not know it. I mean, better to know the truth than to be ignorant of the truth. But it's the doers of the word we found in our last study together that will find true uh, happiness and true contentment. So um, Jesus' explanation as we continue on provides insight and application for all as we hear his word. And by the way, that's when the battle begins. If you already haven't, you know, drifted just a little, and we have the air pretty cranked in here, but I realize these comfortable chairs, my soothing voice, the, uh, <laughs> the you know, the, the difficulty of the day. My wife finds my voice to be anything but soothing. You may be surprised by that. But some of you know, I get it. It aggravates me too. I just come because you teach well. But uh, anyway, Jesus goes on to say, when they came, remember verse 12, uh, you know, or verse 11, they came saying, hey, what's up with all this? Explain it to us. We, we don't really understand. He says to them, verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables. He's saying this parable is a key 
to unlocking the other. So if we don't get this one, we're going to have real problems as we press on with Jesus' parables. The sower, the planter, the thrower sows, plants, throws the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Immediately. So the battle begins as soon as we hear it. And the moment we leave this place, the battle intensifies. Why? Satan knows something not every believer is aware of. And that is, once you give your life to him, he actually takes it, owns you in the best sense of the word. We were slaves to sin. We've made ourselves slaves to God. By choice, though, we had no choice in the slave to sin thing. Then he says, hey, I'll give you a choice. Serve me instead of sin. Because whoever commits sin becomes a slave of sin. Whoever commits to God becomes his servant, his slave. He's our Lord. That's what that word means. Lord, master, servant, slave. So we're serving the Lord and we will always belong to the Lord. He said that, that no one can snatch us out of his hands. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hands. We can't lose the free gift of everlasting life or it wouldn't be everlasting life. And it's important to know that. So why does the enemy bother with us? Why doesn't he just leave us alone if he knows he can't have us? Because his goal, once you give your life to the Lord, is to make you ineffective in your walk with the Lord or unfruitful in your relationship to the Lord and with other people. He wants to make you an ineffective Christian because, well, listen, you don't have to know anything but the good news of the gospel to share the gospel. And I heard a story early on. Turns out it's a true story. Somebody who just heard that very message that you can go out and tell someone, you know, Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. There's life eternal and forgiveness in him. So somebody's down in the park and they see a guy sitting on the bench and they say, hey, What's up? And they go, the guy's actually reading and he's like reading the scripture and, and it's like he doesn't really know what he's reading. And he's like, so, so, you know, what about this? I was reading this and I don't understand this. And the guy's like, well, I don't know. I, I'm brand new at all this, but I do know Jesus died for my sins and yours, was buried and rose again. There's forgiveness and life everlasting in him. And, and so the, the guy, they talk a little more and then they go away. Next day, the guy sees the same guy and he's got more questions. And of course, it's only the next day. So the Christian doesn't know any more than he knew the day before. And so the guy's got question after question after question. And he says, well, I don't know. All I know for sure is Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. There's life and forgiveness in him. He comes back the third day and the guy just looks frazzled. He said, I was up all night. I couldn't find that verse, but I have to know. How do I find this life in Jesus? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's such a simple thing. People are like, well, that's too easy. Yeah, he made it easy because he knows us. And if he made it difficult, not only would we try hard to do it, but if we ever thought we accomplished it, we'd be boasting about it. 
That's why we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast, because he knows that's our nature. When it comes to the battle that Pastor Sam discussed in this message, in the lives that we lived before we came to the Lord, many times we were completely unaware that we were even in a battle. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many times it's at the point that you submit your life to Christ and resist the devil that you become aware of the battle. But please see the second part of this verse where it says that he will flee from you. Why does he flee? Because Jesus already has victory over him and the battle has already been won. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.